Okay. So, Lord, we, we lift this up as we're going to get into the Word of God. We love your presence. And what we love as the Holy Spirit comes in and touches people. That we need, we need the Word of God and we love the Word of God also. And Lord, we thank you for your Word tonight. And I pray as we're going to get into the Word of God together. Lord, I ask you to come upon me with a fresh anointing. Come speak through me, Lord, everything that needs to be spoken. And I pray that by the awesome presence and power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help every person that's hearing this, whether they're hearing it driving down the road, or they're hearing it on the website, those that are present. Lord, that every person will be, the Holy Spirit will come upon us and help us to give you our best ear and our full attention that our minds won't wander, but our minds will be focused. And to touch our eyes and ears, to have eyes and ears of the Spirit, like Jesus talked about, and be, have good fertile soil of hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray as you speak through me, let your word go out as, as living seeds of truth, the word of the Lord, and go and be sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains, that lives will be changed. Let your word go out that it will be like the washing of the water of the word of God to help cleanse away any defilement or pollution. There'll be the word of God like a light shining the truth of your word to shine forth and dispel any darkness, lies, deceptions of the enemy. How many of you guys know Satan is the liar and the deceiver? But Lord, allow your light to shine and dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy out of people's lives and, and bring truth, bring revelation and truth. And we're getting off the milk and onto the meat of the word. We're getting beyond just surface and going into some depth with this. And help us to understand it, Lord, to get everything out of it. It's your will to be done. We bind the enemy. The Bible says that the enemy is like birds that try to swoop in and steal the seed. But we bind the enemy in the name of Jesus that they will not affect the word of the Lord going forth in any way, in any life. We bind them in the name of Jesus right now and break their power. But, Lord, let the precious Holy Spirit, the winds of your spirit, will carry the word of the Lord, not just tonight, but in this whole series. The winds of your spirit carry this series everywhere it's supposed to go around the world, and that your holy angels will watch over it and make sure everything's accomplished, your will to be done. We commit this night to you now. In Jesus' name, we believe and we thank you for it. Amen. All right, so I'm going to finish up this series, not tonight, but next week. And then, of course, we have... Um, Brother Rick Curry will be with us the uh, following week. All right, so tonight this is part 17, and I'm dealing with the communion Hebrew roots. And I want to say a thank you to River of Life because I know that some of this has been repetitious for us. Uh, Some of it's been new, but some of it's been repetitious. I'm going to thank you for um, praying with me and supporting this. As I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that he wanted me to put this series together not just for us, but for many others, because it goes out through the Internet to the world. And I really felt the Lord wanted this out there for many other people. So I want to thank you guys for your love and support during this time. But I want to talk to you about the anointing. And, man, I love the anointing. I'm going to tell you that things will be very frustrating until you're anointed. That doesn't mean things are going to be easy. As, I, as I'm going to teach tonight, you're still going to face a lot of challenges. But, man, as far as the ministry goes, as far as people's lives being impacted by your ministry, when the anointing of the Lord truly comes, all that is going to become easy. Because the anointing of the Lord 
causes all of that to happen, and it's, it's supernatural. And so let's go through this together. This is the communion Hebrew roots. This is part of our heritage um, that you know comes from our Hebrew roots. So I've talked about this before, but Jesus Christ, a lot of people out there really do believe that Jesus would be his first name and Christ his last name because, you know, that's our American culture. So they think, well, Jesus Christ, you know, his dad, dad, Joseph Christ, you know, and, and, and his mom, Mary Christ. But that's not how it is, okay? And Jesus was, his name in Hebrew is Yeshua, okay? And it means salvation. It comes from a root word, Yasha. And this is really interesting for those who are familiar with this, but in the Greek, the word sozo, you guys remember us talking about that word? The Greek word sozo is the word we get salvation from or saved and it means to save heal deliver protect preserve prosper make to do well so it's pretty much everything jesus paid for um, at calvary was is wrapped up in that greek word sozo but in the old testament in the hebrew the word for saved or salvation is the same thing it's yasha in hebrew but it means saved heal deliver protected preserve prosper make to do well all that Jesus paid for at Calvary, healing, deliverance, the works, is wrapped up in the word Yeshua, or wrapped up in the word Yasha, and you get the word salvation, Yeshua, out of that. And so that's Jesus' name. He is our Savior. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. Everything that he paid for at Calvary is expressed even in his name. So Yeshua, and then his title would have been Mashiach, which is the Messiah. And that's the Hebrew. But in the Greek, it's the word Christos, where we get Christ. So Jesus would have been called by his disciples, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. But as we get the Greek translation, we get Christ. Okay, so Christ is the anointed one. So here's what it means. The Messiah, the Christ, what that means for us today, if you look up the word Christ, it means this, the holy and the anointed one. Did everybody catch that? So his name is Yeshua, but his title is the Messiah, the Christ, which is the holy and the anointed one of God. He's holy and he's anointed. And Satan's greatest threats is the anointing and the glory. That's why Satan fights those things tremendously. Satan hates the anointing. And I believe by the end of this sermon, you'll understand why. And he hates the glory. How I many of you guys know what I'm talking about with the glory? Man, can you imagine what it looks like in the spirit realm when there's a hole that's poked in the sky spiritually and there's a pillar of fire shooting from heaven onto the earth and in locations in the earth, the glory, the manifest presence of God is settled there. Can you imagine how much Satan hates that? He's roaming to and fro the earth and he sees these pockets of the glory of God in different places. So here's some scriptures about Jesus, the anointed one. Acts 10.38, it says, You know about Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. If you want to be able to see all that are oppressed of the devil set free, you have to have the anointing. That is what is going to cause it to happen. When, the, when God really put an anointing on my life, I remember 
I got touched really powerful at Brownsville. But I remember that there was an anointing that came. And when that anointing came, all of a sudden as I was praying for people on the altars, I noticed that people were getting delivered from the demonic. They were getting healed. And this hadn't happened before. But the anointing is what makes the difference. And I say this with with utmost love and respect. Believe me, I'm saying this with a humble heart. But I think sometimes some of the ministries out there that belittle that and they think, well, it's a bunch of fanaticism. It's a bunch of emotion. It's a bunch of hype. You know, if they would ever really get an anointing and then they would go up and pray for people, they would see the difference. They would see that something is now happening. And I remember all of a sudden as the anointing came, literally I had this happen many times, but the demonic would manifest and people would get delivered of stuff. There was a a man not that long ago that was right here and I was praying for him and I just felt something there and as I was praying, I took authority and, you know, it's manifesting, hits the ground, gets delivered of some demonic stuff. That is the anointing. It's not something that you can just come up with on your own. It's not going to come through education, although we need education. It's the anointing of God. And Isaiah 10, 27 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Satan is the great oppressor. He wants to put a yoke on people. He wants to beat them down and oppress them and put a heaviness on them. And when the anointing comes, it'll break that off, people. So let me try to give a definition, a basic definition of the anointing, and then we'll just kind of go through this together. So the anointing is is basically this. It is God's stamp on an individual where they can now function and do the things that Jesus did. Did you all catch that? It's God's stamp of approval. It's his touch on their life. Where now, by the Spirit of God upon them, they can do the things that Jesus did. And that's why Satan hates the anointing. Because when somebody's really anointed, they're operating and functioning like Jesus Christ on the earth. They're going around praying for the sick and they're healed. They're casting demons out of people. And they're seeing people touched by the power of God. And Satan hates that. Can you imagine how much Satan hated Jesus Christ when he was here? And how he stirred up to have him crucified. And then if Satan had only known what he was doing and that he was shooting himself in the foot, he would have never done it in the first place. But he thought, as Jesus hung there on the cross, he thought, finally, I got rid of this guy. But little did he know, when a kernel of wheat goes to the ground and dies, it produces many more. Jesus raises from the dead, and now there's a whole bunch of people like Jesus that are anointed all over the earth praying for the sick. And Satan hates every one of them. But the anointing is like oil that pours over a person and is rubbed into them spiritually, and it is an empowerment. So in the Old Testament times, the anointing was made up of these ingredients, okay? Cinnamon, calamus, cassia, myrrh, and of course it was in the olive oil. And this made up what's called the holy anointing oil that Moses would have used to anoint the tabernacle, to anoint the priesthood. And there were basically different people that were anointed. There was priests, 
that would go in and minister to God and they would perform the sacrifices and, and the high priest would go in once a year to the Holy of Holies. Those people had to be anointed with holy oil. And they were set apart, they were anointed so that they could be able to function and do their priestly duties. It had to be the anointing of God that set them apart to do that. And also there was, there was kings that were anointed. God set them apart to do what he called them to do. And finally, there was prophets that were anointed so that they could be the voice of the Lord. And so today, uh, if you can, you know, work with how I'm trying to explain this, but number one, we're all priests now in Christianity, okay? Everybody that's a true Christian is a priest unto God. And that means that we can minister to him in prayer. That means that we can come into his presence. And if people would really stop and think about what that means and how, how awesome that is and how wonderful that is to be able to come into the presence of the Lord and spend time with him. I mean, we take too much for granted, okay? But we're priests. Also, the, the whole body of Christ as a whole is a prophetic voice in the world of the reality of a living God. Does that make sense? We're all kind of a prophetic people, if you will, that has a voice. And I understand that certain people have the gift of prophecy, and they'll, they'll flow in that real powerful. And I understand that certain people are prophets, and they're going to operate really powerfully, um, being able to see and hear and express what God's showing them. And I understand that, but I mean, as a whole, the whole body of Christ, there, there is a call for us to be like a voice in the wilderness and to be a voice that there is a living God that there is a risen Christ and there is a word of God. And we're like a prophetic voice collectively. And also there's a kingly anointing that's available that as the body of Christ, the Bible says now that we can trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. The Bible says that we have authority as believers. It doesn't say the pastor. It doesn't say an apostle. It says that the whole body, we have authority in the name of Jesus to drive out demons. To lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So there is this kingly authority that has been invested in us from Jesus. So in essence, as the collective body, we have a priestly role, we have a prophetic role, and we have a kingly role. And God is wanting his anointing to be upon his people so that we can do the things that he did when he was on the earth. So the first ingredient of the holy anointing oil was cinnamon. My favorite spice. I love cinnamon. Anybody else like cinnamon? Yeah. All right. Cinnamon is a sweet, fragrant, and medicinal um, spice during the Old Testament time, okay? It was used for medicinal purposes, and it comes from the bark of an evergreen tree. Christ hung on a tree. Think about this. Christ hung on a tree that as he hung on that cross, that tree was ugly, it was bloody, it was a place of death, it was a place that, that smelt of, of you know, rotten dead bodies that were in that area. It was an ugly, grotesque thing, the crucifixion, but yet to us, that same cross is the tree of life. And so the cinnamon speaks of our salvation and the fact that everywhere we go, the Bible says we're supposed to spread through us everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. I've often thought about this. We come in here together, River of Life, and we're worshiping the Lord, and His fragrant presence comes in. 
though it's a spiritual thing, we may not smell it with our natural nose or anything, but the presence of the Lord is like this incense, this fragrance that was in the tabernacle. And then people go through and we pray for people, we lay hands on people, they've been soaking, they've been saturating in the presence of God, and they go out of here and they start witnessing, and without even realizing it, I think that all of us are carrying the fragrance of Christ with us out into a dark place. And the demonic realm, to them, it's probably a tormenting thing. Oh, these people, here they come. But everywhere we go, we're to carry the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2.14 The second was Calamus, a fragrant cane whose root is highly prized. The more that this cane was beaten, the more sweet it becomes. As we share in the sufferings of Christ, the rejection, the stigma that goes along with Christianity, the mocking and the ridicule, Everything that goes with being a true Christian, it's like the, the, the abuse that Christianity takes. Um, the Bible says if you share in his sufferings, you also share in his glory. And so the more that there's abuse that comes your way, it will cause more of that, that beautiful uh, fragrance to come forth, the sweetness of the anointing. Cassia comes from the root word which means to split. It's said to resemble cinnamon, but less fragrant. And it comes from a shrub, and I love this one. This one's interesting to me. It comes from a shrub which grows at great heights, like 8,000 feet. Great heights. And it reminds me of Moses and the elders in Exodus that were going up the mountain of God to be in his presence. We have to draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. And as we spend time with the Lord, that's where an, a fresh anointing will come in your life. See, just like the priests would go in every day in the tabernacle, in the morning and the evening, the morning and evening sacrifice, they went in every day. What they did, they would, they would sacrifice a lamb, and that blood would be shed for the sins of the people, shed for their sin. And then they would go in to the tabernacle, and they would have to trim the menorah and make sure that all the fire was going on that lampstand. They'd have to check the table of showbread, make sure that it had the loaves and the wine was there like it's supposed to be. That had to be changed out weekly. And then they would go up to the golden altar. This golden altar stood right before the veil. And they would put a hot coal in there from the outside altar. And they would sprinkle this powder incense on that coal. And it would begin to burn and it would fill that whole place with this fragrance of the incense. And they would sit there like this, sprinkling that, and they would worship and they would pray unto God. And it was really believed in that time, and I believe this to be true, that in the Old Testament time, everybody would pray. And they would stand at their tent and look toward the tabernacle. You know, but they would pray toward the tabernacle or toward the temple. And they really believed that when the priest went in and burned that incense, that their prayers would intermingle with his prayers in that incense, and they would go right up into God's throne. And in the Old Testament time, that was probably the case. But see, here we are today now as Christians, and what people don't really realize is, is that God never changes. He, it's just that we have the fulfillment now. And so here we are, we come together and as, as we, you know, River of Life takes communion, they, you know, people don't have to do that. But we take time 
to get washed and covered in the blood. And it's a picture, a type of that lamb being his blood shed that we're being washed in the blood of Jesus because the blood is what brings you into his presence. And then as priest, what happens? We begin to worship. We begin to praise. We begin to pray. We begin to intercede. And the incense of our praise and worship, prayer and intercession begins to rise up into God's throne. But see, that priest would come in there to that tabernacle and he would burn that incense and pray for a while And that incense. You guys ever gone somewhere? You're out in public and you go into some place where people are smoking cigarettes and you're like, oh man. And you leave out of there and you realize it's like my clothes now smell like cigarettes, you know. Well, think about that priest coming out of that time. He's in there burning that fragrant incense unto God and worshiping God. And as he comes out, you know, when he sees his family, uh, first thing they're going to do is they're going to smell that incense that's still in his hair, it's in his beard, it's in his garments. It's a picture and type of us spending time with the Lord and us carrying the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. But it's only going to come from spending time with him. That priest had to draw near to God. He had to go into the tabernacle and pray. And also that fragrant anointing oil. You know as well as I do, you get, you know, I don't know if you guys have smelt that oil that, that we have here, but it has that cassia, that cinnamon, all that in it. But you can imagine them filling up like a horn of oil. And it's like, okay, it's time to anoint this guy for a priestly office or a king and taking that whole thing and dumping it on his head and it's running down his beard onto his garments you know, they're putting a hand, kind of rubbing it on his head and praying over him. You know, when he left out of there, he smells like cinnamon and he smells like those spices and that myrrh that's in that anointing oil. He's carrying the fragrance of Christ. But in Christianity, God does not make these little hot house plants. You know, my wife has got some beautiful plants she keeps in the house. The only danger they have would be maybe our cat Nibbles deciding to destroy one one day, you know. But other than that, they're in pretty good safe place. They don't have to deal with the elements of being outside and the scorching heat and all that. But I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't make hot house plants. God will take Christians and he puts his seed in us and we're born again and we're different. We're different on the inside and he'll take you and he'll plant you somewhere in a desert and say bear fruit. And we've got to get our roots down to where we're not going to get offended and we're not going to get out of the will of God and we're not going to backslide, but we're going to what? Draw near to God and spend time with Him and get strong in Him. And so Christianity, there's a stigma. There's a mocking. There's God mocking. There's, there's this, uh, you know, this abuse that comes against Christians. You, know, you may be God a witness and people are just blowing you off or mocking you or whatever. That comes along with being a Christian. But the anointing, the more that there, this abuse comes, the sweeter the anointing will flow in your life. The myrrh, here's the fourth part, is a gum which comes from the stem of a low, thorny, ragged tree of the Terebinth family, grows in Arabia and East Africa. It's a bitter plant. But you have to bruise this. You have to bruise this tree. And it has to be pierced for this gum to come forth. 
And I'm going to tell you something. The very places a lot of times where you've been wounded the most in life will be the very places that the anointing will ooze out of you to bring healing to other people. Some people have really been abused in life from different things. I mean, maybe they, it was their parents. Maybe they were molested. Maybe they were, um, you know, some crazy thing happened to them. But the very place... Where, where people have been pierced by life and they've been bruised in that area. Once they give that area to Jesus and the Lord touches and heals them, I'm telling you, there will be an anointing that begins to ooze out of that area of their life and that the, those very people will be the ones that get healed through them. There'll be an anointing and an authority to see people healed in that area. The olive oil. It had to be pure olive oil. And this is what the cinnamon, the cassia, the calamus, the myrrh, it would be mixed into pure olive oil. The oil speaks of the Holy Spirit, obviously. The anointing. To anoint means to rub in. Now I want you to catch what I'm about to say, okay? Because I'm not going to dwell on it. But anybody that's been in the faith very long, you're going to be able to make, you're going to be able to connect the dots when I say this, okay? Roman soldiers, we are warriors for Christ. They would rub oil into their leather equipment to keep them from cracking. We need a fresh anointing as warriors. Shepherds would rub olive oil around the eyes and the ears and the noses of sheep to keep the bugs from tormenting them. That's the responsibility of a pastor, to help keep a fresh anointing on God's people, as it helps keep those bugs off, that demonic oppression pushed back. God wants to take, you know, to anoint means to rub in, but God wants to take His holy anointing oil. He wants to pour it over us. And he wants to rub that down into us and change us on the inside, from the inside out. But that oil has to rub all the way down into who you are. That means we really have to yield to the Lord and let him do that. I've seen people many times that God, see, the olive oil, uh, the olive has to be crushed and then the oil comes out. The grape has to be crushed for the wine to come out. So there has to be that crushing. Out of the crucible of life, God will birth great anointings. Are y'all hearing me? Out of the crucible of life, the crushing of life, will come great anointings. But nobody really wants to go through that process. A lot of times the Lord begins to, to press down on somebody's life and there begins to be a crushing. And he's, he, what he's doing is he's also trying to deal with things in them. He's trying to get that crushing to go down into them and deal with all that stuff that needs to go so that he can use them in, a, in an awesome way. But as that begins to clamp down and as they begin to go through suffering, they begin to say, Lord, they cry out and say, stop, just quit, I can't handle it. And the Lord sometimes will back off. But if they would simply say, Lord, if this is of you, help me to learn. Help me to grow. Allow this to take place. Allow the, the crushing to take place so that I can walk in the anointing. 
But if it's not you, I want to know so that I can rebuke the enemy. Amen. But if it is you, if it's something that you're doing, Lord, allow this to be thorough in my life. That's where great anointings are birthed. And we need a fresh anointing on our lives. See, a lot of people have been anointed in times past. But if I take some oil, and I, I remember this pastor one time. He's a good friend. He had some oil, and uh, it was actually a big jar of it. But he had it sitting out on his desk, and the lid was off of it. And it was, a, it was an oil that smelled like frankincense and myrrh. You know, it was really pretty smell. But he left the lid off and forgot about it for a long time. And I came in there, and I, and I picked it up, and I smelled it, and it stunk. And see, oil will get a bad smell about it over time. Oil will get stale, and oil will begin to evaporate. And so you need a fresh anointing on your life. Not just an anointing that was of yesterday. Too many times people are talking about what God did 20, 30 years ago. And I love what he did in my life back in the 90s. But man, I need a fresh anointing now. I can't ride just what God did 20, 30 years ago the rest of my life. And so many times, too, the Bible talks about flies getting in the oil. We have to be careful to guard the anointing in our lives because Satan will try to defile the anointing by putting those, those flies and things in that oil in people's lives. You've got to be careful to keep your life pure before God. But as Moses went through with that holy anointing oil, and I've shared this already, but he went through as the tabernacle was erected, was set up, everything in place. He started in the Holy of Holies. He anointed everything, backed, it, backed out. After everything was anointed, the glory of the Lord began to come into that tabernacle. And that's the thing. Once the anointing comes and God sets people apart and sets a place apart as holy unto him, that right there is when the glory of the Lord will begin to come. But God wants to set a people and set a place apart as holy. It's set apart by the anointing. The anointing is what makes the difference. And so whenever I go through and I'm anointing and praying over people, I always keep in mind that the people are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And so as I'm anointing people on the altar time and praying over them, I realize that I'm setting them apart unto God as holy for his manifest presence to begin to fill their life just like the tabernacle in Exodus 40. And I've gone through here and I've gone through my home and I've anointed it, anointed different rooms in my home and blessed them. I've anointed this place, set it apart. The anointing is to set apart for God's use. And same thing as a person. As God anoints us, we're set apart for his use. And there's something really powerful about an authority figure anointing somebody and blessing and praying over them. The anointing also will make the gifts work with ease. You know, we talk about the fivefold giftings, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And we talk about the gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, you know, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, faith, healing, and miracles. And God puts these gifts in people. But see, for the gifts to really function with ease and with authority and with power, they need to be anointed. 
It's just like an engine, really. If you take an engine and you remove the oil out, there's going to be a residue for a short time. That vehicle may drive down the road for a very short amount of time. And everything seems good. And all of a sudden, you're going to hear this clank, and that thing is going to lock up, and you're going to, you're going to screech to a halt, and that oil is gone. And the same thing with people. Many times they don't realize it, but God has put all these giftings in them, and he's wanting to use them. And they feel like it's hard to function in these giftings. It's frustrating. But once a fresh anointing comes, then the gifts flow with ease. Here's something else about the anointing. The power of impartation. In Romans 1.11, Paul said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. I remember when God showed me this, this scripture really impressed me and I began to study it in the Greek. And as I did, I began to realize that really this could be translated this way. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that will take you to a place of strength. There's something about the power of impartation. Now, let me explain this a little bit. So whenever I was um, younger in the Lord, about 20 years ago, when I went to Brownsville and God touched me, it was actually a time in my life when God really touched me powerfully, not only at Brownsville, but in many other places. I had divine appointments with people, and God really put a fresh anointing on my life. And there was a prophetic man that came into my life, and I was such a young Christian. I'm talking about just a couple years old. I didn't know hardly anything. And he prophesied over me. And he said this, it's always stay with me, he said the anointing on your life is very mature, but you're not mature yet. But he said don't worry about it because the anointing will mature you. See the anointing will take you to a place of strength. And in 1 John, around 1 John 4 where it talks about testing the spirits, I think it's 1 John 3 or 2. But you can read where it says that the anointing will teach you. And that you don't have to have teachers per se because the anointing will teach you so the anointing will mature when the anointing gets in us the anointing of god that is a an operation of the holy spirit in us that will begin to strengthen us that will begin to change us that will begin to help us understand things we never understood before we'll begin to understand the bible and with fresh revelation and the anointing in us will take us to a place of really maturing in the lord And I began to learn something really interesting about the anointing. I'm sharing this for a reason. I hope, I hope this is really um, something everybody's grasping because this is a, a, a subject I'm really comfortable with, but a subject that also has really changed my life and impacted me. And I remember God really showed me some things about the anointing, and he showed me like people um, that had some kind of a mantle on their life, and he showed me a correlation with the, the coat of many colors. And how Joseph, maybe it was like a mantle on somebody's life, but it was like as you got different anointings from different people in places, those different anointings would be like little patches that went into your mantle and was making up like a coat of many colors. And God showed me that in, in a you know, vision or revelation or whatever. It was like God wanted a mantle on me but on other people all of us okay he wants a mantle on us but he wants us to get different um 
impartations from different moves of God. And it's like Joseph's co- uh, coat of many colors. It's like a mantle made up of many different anointings. If I can say it that way. And I remember it was really interesting because I would go to these different, during the 90s, there were so many different moves of God going on. And, and I remember that I was ministering at this particular place where there was all these young people that were, were there and they came from every type of background, every type of ethnicity, every, every type of different cultural and spiritual background you could imagine. I mean, it was totally eclectic. I'd be up there preaching and there'd be a white girl that used to be in a gang. There'd be this girl that was maybe Hispanic that used to be a witch. And then this girl over here that was this. I mean, it was just all across the board. And so religion don't work in those situations. You better come with the heat, all right? And so I come in there and I'd just be preaching Jesus and just telling it like it is and start praying for folks. Say, come on down. If you need to get right with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was moving. These people are crying, getting saved. We go through praying for people. And this is honest God truth. One girl, she go flying back, you know, speaking in tongues. God's baptized in the Holy Spirit. This other girl fall down manifesting demons. I'm having to cast a demon out over here. This girl get touched by God, get healed. It was just, it was awesome what God was doing. But as this was going on, I remember going to different revivals just on my own. And it was really interesting to me because I could tell that there would be different anointings. If I went to Brownsville and came back, there was a certain anointing. But I remember one time I'd seen, um, you guys are familiar with Rodney Howard Brown and his ministry. There's a real strong anointing on him. And I remember I just simply was, it was actually in Tyler, around Tyler, Texas area. And he was in a tent with R.W. Shambach. You guys remember him. Everybody thought R.W. Shambach, the way he preached, they thought he was a black guy until television came out and he got on TV. And they realized, hey, wait a second, you know, because he would preach like real fiery. But R.W. Shambach had this tent revival to celebrate his ministry. Rodney was there. He prayed for me. I go back, same situation. I'm praying for people like always. But all of a sudden, I hear all these people laughing. I didn't say anything about anything. But it was like that anointing. You know, that fresh oil came on me from his ministry. So there's, there's these different anointings, these different streams. And I would encourage people to be careful to not get locked into one thing and shut yourself off from every other move of God. Make sure that you're, you're open to different moves. I remember, for example, when um, Steve Hill was saying that he had become really close to anything outside of his little circle, but he said that whenever he went to the Argentine revival, he saw something that he never saw before. And he went down to Carlos Anaconda and said, pray for me. And then whenever he came back, he was in England, and Randy Clark had been at Holy Trinity Brompton, and that revival from Toronto was breaking out there. And he went there. It was a totally different move of God. But he went to the pastor there, Sandy Miller, and said, pray for me. And he was open to something fresh and different. Listen, we need to be open to God, but at the same time be close to the devil. But don't be one of those that's too much of a skeptic where God can't touch your life. Where you've got this little bubble that you live in. Anything outside of that, you don't want God to move in your life. You've got to let those walls down. In Deuteronomy 34, 9, Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Because why? Because Moses had laid his hands on him. Y'all are a little quiet. Did I lose anybody yet? In 2 Kings 2, 13, Elisha, He took up the mantle of Elijah 
that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah and struck the waters and said, Where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also struck the waters, they were divided here and there. And Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him said to themselves, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. There was a transference of the anointing from Moses to Joshua. Is everybody seeing this? There was a transference of the anointing from Elijah to an Elisha. Acts 6 verse 6. They presented men to the apostles. And they laid hands on them so that they could be the deacons and the leaders. And Stephen was one of them, remember? And he later was stoned. Um, by the Pharisees, but they laid hands on them so that the anointing that was on them would be transferred to these leaders. In fact, when Peter and John went to Samaria, uh, Philip went there first and preached the gospel. And with shrieks, demons came out of people. Uh, People that were crippled got up and walked, and there was great rejoicing in Samaria because of Philip's ministry. And he preached the gospel. Well, once he got a great harvest of souls in Samaria... He sent for Peter and John to come, and they came to Samaria. And the Bible says in Acts 8, 17, when Peter and John placed their hands on the people there, they received the Holy Spirit. So there was an impartation, there was an anointing. Listen, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're born again. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. But Jesus had told the disciples when he raised from the dead and was with them, he blew on them and said, receive the spirit. And they were, I believe they were born again, but he told them, he said, you need to go wait in Jerusalem till you be clothed with power. There's a difference. We have the spirit of God as a Christian living in you to guide you and convict you and change you on the inside. But we need to be clothed with power so that we can do what Jesus did in the earth. That's the anointing. And as I went from place to place where God was moving, I could tell there'd be a fresh anointing, but a different anointing in different places. And I remember getting prayer from uh, Carlos and Claudio and those guys from the Argentine revival. It's a very different anointing, but it was so intense, so powerful. How many are hungry for a fresh anointing? All right, I'm going to start closing this out. I'm going to speak for a moment about blessings. In 1 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says, and I'm talking about Hebrew roots, what we glean from our Hebrew roots. It's out of the, the soil of um, the Hebrew faith. It's out of that soil that sprang up Christianity. And for us to really understand the fullness of what we have available in Christianity, I really believe that we have to understand our Hebrew roots. And so... I'm talking about the anointing. See, we see things in the New Testament where um, the apostles laid hands on you know these different people and they received the Spirit of God. But you really don't fully, completely understand everything until you go back to the Old Testament and you see the pattern. And you see how Moses prayed over Joshua and Elijah to an Elisha. And you see the pattern of the priests and the prophets and the kings. And you understand all that's there. And then it all of a sudden it makes sense in the New Testament. Oh, I understand now about the anointing. So the power of speaking blessings. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. 
but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Now, this is a subject I'm very comfortable with as well. (coughs) But the power of speaking blessings. Now, I remember during this time in my life, I, I was ministering to different people, and the Lord spoke to me because I had this group of people that I was continuing to minister to on a regular basis. And God showed me where Abraham, he went and um, he defeated those kings. Remember that? There was four kings and their armies and Abraham and his little family defeated them. It was a miraculous victory. And he came back and he saw the king of Salem and, and, and the king of Salem said, you know, we'll give you all this wealth. He said, no, I'm not going to take a shoelace because I don't want anybody saying that you made me rich. God's blessing is what's upon me. But he met with Melchizedek, who was a priest unto God. And they broke bread and they had wine. They basically took what we know as communion together. And Melchizedek blessed Abram. And God spoke to me because after Abram was blessed, Abram was living 25 years. And he was believing God for the promise and wasn't seeing anything. And God spoke to me because right after Melchizedek blessed him, it seemed like everything changed for Abram. God appeared to him. God gave him the covenant of circumcision. God began to change everything. And the Lord spoke to me and said, as an authority figure like a Melchizedek, if you'll begin to take communion with my people and you'll begin to speak a blessing over them, I will begin to change things. And so I began to do a study on the power, the mystery and the power of a blessing. And this is not something that's relegated to the Old Testament. In fact, when Jesus ascended, it says in the book of Luke, he blessed those that were there. And whenever Jesus had the little children come to him, he didn't pray for them. It says he blessed them. In 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing. For this you were called to inherit a blessing. So if you want things to change, stop cursing it, stop speaking negative, and start speaking a blessing over it. So many times people say, well, I'm praying about it, but I'm going to ask you this question. Are you really praying about it, or are you just complaining to God about it? Are you just being negative? Are you cursing it? There's a difference between cussing and cursing. I'm not talking about profanity. I'm talking about being negative with your words. Some people sit around, and they're, they're negative, and they complain, and they whine, and they curse those things, and they don't mean to. But they're, they're sitting there griping to God about their finances and talking about how bad their finances are. And every time they go to do this, it doesn't work out. And every time they get a paycheck, it doesn't go far enough. And they're sitting there cursing and cursing and cursing their finances. And then they go, God, why is my finances like this? And I wonder if the Lord's not just up there saying to him, well, you know, if you'd begin to speak blessings over your finances, things would begin to change. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And it grieves me to to know that there's some parents out there that will talk to their kids like, you know, and that maybe a father would say to his son, you know, I never thought you'd amount to anything. You've always disappointed me. I'm sure that when you get older, you're going to continue to disappoint and embarrass me and your mom. We've always been somewhat ashamed of you. You know, I'll probably have to take care of you the rest of your life. And they're just cursing them. Whereas if the dad would sit there and say, you know what, son? I'm proud of you. I know life is hard out there, but I believe in you, and I pray for you and God's blessings on your life. And I believe and I speak over you that you're going to prosper in life. You're going to be successful. You're going to be able to be on your own two feet financially. You're going to have a blessed marriage. You're going to have a blessed home. 
I see God's favor on your life. And they would speak life. See, every time we open our mouths, what you understand that the Bible says this, the power of life and death is in the tongue. When we open our mouths, you guys remember those, as a kid, you'd have those little bubble blowers. You'd, you'd blow through that and it'd be these bubbles go out in the atmosphere. You don't realize it, but your words are like that. Your words have life or death in them. And they go out and they burst into the atmosphere and it's either going to release life or death, blessing or curses. And some people's homes are so full of curses and it's so negative. And there's been so much strife and fighting. And the husband's been speaking this over the wife. And the wife has been, uh, you know, tearing down her husband in front of the kids and speaking this. And the kids have been speaking against the parents. And there's so much curses in the atmosphere that it's sterile, it's dead, and it's oppressed by the demonic. It's locked up. You go there, it's difficult to pray. But God is wanting to clear all that pollution out of people's homes. They can go through that home and anoint it with oil. They can pray over it. God, forgive us for this. And begin to see, Lord, you know, remove all this out. We break these curses out of this home. We command that to go. And let God just come through and blow all that pollution out. And bring his blessing there. And then begin to speak blessings. I'll tell you when I felt, more than anything else, there's two things that I felt in my life, that, or three, that have shifted the atmosphere. Number one is the communion table. Number two is the shofar. And number three is speaking blessings. Every time I do either one of those three things, I feel the atmosphere shift. What would happen if we begin to bring the communion table into our homes? What would happen if people would begin to lift their hands like a priest and walk through their homes? I bless this home in the name of Jesus. That you're going to be a sanctuary of God's presence and peace. I bless this home that there's going to be order, there's going to be unity here. I bless this home to be a place of rare abundance and prosperity and health, and sweet rest in the presence of God. And the husband grabbed his wife, began to speak a blessing. I bless you in Jesus' name. And grabbed the children, I speak over you. And they begin to bless. It will change everything. Genesis 24:60. It says that they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase. Now, understand, Rebecca's about to leave let me tell you guys something. Please remember this. I put these scriptures for a reason. Number one, 1 Peter 3, 9. If you want things to change, stop cursing it and start blessing it. Start being deliberate about it. Start aiming your blessings toward it and be deliberate. Lift your hands like a priest. I bless those finances in the name of Jesus. Satan, you're, you're off limits to the devil. You're under the blood of Jesus because I tithe the devourers rebuked. There's going to be blessings of abundance and begin to speak over things. I've even heard of people that had health problems that just simply began to bless their body and the health problems disappeared. I've heard testimonies of that. So you can turn things around. The second thing is anytime you begin something new, you need to get a blessing. Anytime, and I've seen people like, you know, Brother Zach and others that have been with us for a little while that have the wisdom to know that. And whenever he started maybe a new job or something, he's always come up and said, hey, would you speak a blessing as my pastor? And yeah, I've seen uh, Pastor Stephen do the same thing. But here it is, Genesis 24, 60. Rebecca's about to go, and she's going to go marry Isaac. She's leaving her family. This is a major change in her life. And her family, her mom, 
and um, her brother spoke a blessing over her as she was leaving. And one of the things they said, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. And they blessed her. And I'll tell you what, to this day, Israel has increased to thousands upon thousands. And to this day, even now, in 2016, the IDF still possesses the gates of their enemies. In Ruth 4.11, whenever Ruth, remember, she married Boaz. They were coming together. She was a Moabite. But he was a kinsman redeemer, and he was bringing her into his household, into his inheritance. He was a righteous man. She was going to come under his tallit in marriage. And it says, the elders and all the people of the city that were at the gate, here's what they said. They spoke over them a blessing. They said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. And may you have standing in Ephrathath which was an ancient name for Bethlehem. And then, may you be famous in Bethlehem. And what's interesting is, is Ruth and Boaz are in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ, who was famous out of where? Bethlehem. I could go on and on, but I'm telling you, it is, it is vitally important that fathers bless their families. I, I can't tell you how important it is. Because if you don't, you're leaving a vacuum, a void. And some, some people say, well, I don't have a Christian father. Then get somebody else to do it and stand in their proxy. That's why I have my father get up here and bless. Because I know that there's people that their fathers may be passed on. Or they don't even know where they are. They don't have a good relationship with them. They're not a Christian. They won't understand, etc. And so I have people come up and I have my father come up and stand in proxy and bless them. But let me tell you, you need to make sure that you're blessing, if you can, a pastor should bless the congregation. Parents need to bless children. Husbands need to bless their wives and their wives bless their husbands. Every night when Sandy and I go to bed, we speak a blessing over each other. If you want things to change and you want the atmosphere of heaven, begin to speak blessings. The Lord's put on my my heart a long time ago. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I come up and pray before services. And I'll take communion by myself. Here and out, and you know, I'll, I'll blast the shofar and just pray that you know things are of the enemy are pushed back or whatever. But I'll you know maybe anoint. But I speak blessings every time. I speak a blessing over the church, and you can feel the atmosphere begin to shift in a powerful way. Why? Because we're releasing life. If you want things to be set in motion, remember that Isaac, even by accident, blessed Jacob. And look at the difference in Jacob's life as opposed to Esau. And that was on accident. If you want people to be positioned for success, bless them, don't curse them. Like I said earlier, anytime you're you're starting something new, you need a blessing spoken. Shifting the atmosphere. If you want the atmosphere of your home to be the atmosphere of heaven and you want the atmosphere of your church you know why some churches so are so oppressed of the devil because the people sit around and they call it prayer meetings and all they're doing is gossiping about people they sit around in little groups running down the pastor running down the pastor's wife they sit in there speaking all these curses into the atmosphere it gets locked up it gets oppressed and sterile and the demonic begins to set down on that church Pretty soon people are sick. They come down to get prayer. They stay sick. It's, it's oppressed of the demonic. But if people would begin to bless, bless the pastor, bless the church, and they would curb their tongue, things would change. 
Or here's the last two things. This has to do with our Hebrew roots as well. These are just a couple names of God. I believe John Paul Jackson wrote a book or something that has like, I don't know, 300 and something names of God. But this is, this is the couple, a couple names I feel like would be a blessing to you to know and to memorize and to use in your personal prayer life, okay? El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. You'll see on a lot of things like a mezuzah and other, other um, Jewish paraphernalia, but especially the mezuzah, you'll see that it looks like what we have is a W, and that's actually the SH. And you'll see the priest, um, people that are part of the Kohenim, you know, as they speak blessings in the Hebrew culture, you'll see they hold their hands like that, like a W. And it has to do with El Shaddai. And see that, that SH, the Shin letter, it's the same letter you see in Shekinah. You see the Shekinah presence of God, okay? And, um, and you also see with the name of God, El Shaddai. But the El Shaddai is God Almighty, the, the one who's the all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Isn't that awesome? The next one, El Elyon, the God Most High, Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is the name of God. Okay, its name is spelled yud Hey vav Hey, four letters. We would translate that Yahweh. It's the same thing as Jehovah, but Jehovah is just not a very good translation. It's what happened when it went from, you know, Hebrew to... Uh, like German, and then it made its way into English. <laughs> it became Jehovah. But the name of God is Yahweh. Then you see what Jehovah, or Yahweh Nisi, the Lord my banner, Ra'a or Rohi, the shepherd, Rapha, our healer, Shama, the Lord is here, the divine presence of God. The Lord is Yahweh Shama, his divine presence with us. Zitkenu, our righteousness, Makadesh, our sanctification. El Olam. So you guys are familiar with, uh, was it Bruk Shem Kabod Malchut Olam. The Olam. The Olam is the everlasting. This is the everlasting God. The eternal God. Jaira. Or Yire in Hebrew. Jaira is the Lord our provider. Shalom. The Lord our peace. And Sabaoth. The Lord of hosts. So these are names of God. I really recommend that you learn these names, okay? Because the, remember Jesus said this, Our Father, hallowed be your name. There's something about worshiping the name of God. You know, his, he's, he basically has shown us his nature through his name. Are y'all hearing me? He is the Lord who is Yahweh Shammah. He is the Lord who is with us. He is the Lord Sitkenu, the, the one who makes us righteous. He is, you know, as people say in English, Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He is the Lord um, Rapha, our healer. And he's revealed his nature and his love for his people in his name. And so knowing these names is significant. And there's an interesting promise in Psalm 91 that says that we'll trample upon snakes or tread upon the lion, the adder, great lion, serpent, trample on the foot. But then it goes on to say, to those that know my name. I will be with you and will deliver you out of trouble. But there's something about knowing his name. And here's the last thing I want to close with is the, the Hebrew alphabet. 
I put this here. If anybody's interested, let me just put this on the recording. But give me your best here at the end because this is really interesting. Um, there's a man by the name of Mark Biltz that does a free online class on YouTube that you can watch. He goes through each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. He explains it. He shows the pictures and everything. It's very informative. It's very good. And he, he could help you understand. But the Hebrew alphabet is very interesting. And I'm going to give you an example. Look on the very last page that you have where it has the pictures. I'm just going to give you two examples because if I got off on this, man, this is a whole nother rabbit trail. So I'm just going to give you two examples. Let me give you the name of God. Remember Yahweh, yud heh vav the four-letter name of God. All right. The first letter is Yud. That's number 10. Look at number 10. You see that pictograph? You know what that is? That's supposed to represent a man's arm. All right. The hey is the letter H. So you have Y, now H. And that's number five. Look at number five. You see a little guy there standing there? Hey, look at me. All right. It means behold. Okay, y'all hear me? It means behold. It means to get your attention. And then the next letter in God's name is Vav, number six. You see it looks like a little Y. That's a tent peg or a nail. And then the last letter is the hey again with the guy, behold, hey, look at me. <laughs> and you know what God's name as far as Hebrew pictograph would be? Think about this. yud heh vav the name of God. Back in ancient times, Moses, this is the way these people would have wrote this, okay? It means behold the arm with a nail in it. Let that sink in. Who is the arm of God's salvation? Jesus. Whose arm was pierced for us? Jesus. So the very name of God, yudheh says, Behold the arm with a nail in it. Now let me give you one more. Now, this is more about the alphabet itself, but there's two letters back-to-back. They're really interesting. The 13th letter, you could go on page 3 and see the letters, but the 13th letter is called Mem, M-E-M, Mem. And the 14th letter is Nun, N-U-N. This is really interesting. Once you learn the alphabet and you learn some words and you get a basic idea, when I study the Bible now and study... The Hebrew, I can see a lot of things I never saw before. It's really interesting because we have a Strong's and you can look it up. It's really easy. But anyway, the Mame and the Noon. So the Mame is the 13th. Let me just give you this quickly. 13 in the Bible speaks of rebellion. And interesting that this letter Mame has a numeric value of 40. And we know in the Bible that 40 is the number of testing. That when God is going to put you through some testing, okay, you're going to wander in a wilderness, the number 40. Does everybody follow me? So you have 13, you have that there's rebellion, and God has now got to put people through testing because of their rebellion. And the letter M, the MAME, the pictograph is choppy water, like a storm. Like waters on the ocean during a storm. 
choppy waters. If you follow me, this is really interesting. So when God, when you're in rebellion and you're not the way you need to be with God, he's going to put you through some storms in life and put you through some testing to get that stuff out of you. Which will lead you to the next letter in the alphabet, which is noon, N-U-N. And that letter, the noon, is number 14. And 14 means deliverance. And it has a numeric value of 50, which is jubilee. And the noon, also the pictograph picture, is like maybe a fish darting through water or it could be like a seed that has a root coming because it's like life. It has to do with life. So here's how it is. When we get into rebellion against God, he's going to begin to test us and he's going to begin to put us through some choppy waters in life and he's going to put us through some storms. Why? Because on the other end of it, we're going to be delivered... Number 14, we're going to come into our jubilee and we're going to come into a new life. And many people equate the, the letter maim with the word mikveh, which has to do with a baptism where it's a death of the old and a resurrection into the new life. The first letter in Moses' name in Hebrew, Moshe, is the maim. Moses was the one that took them through the desert, but he couldn't take them into the promised land. Who took them into the promised land? Joshua, son of Nun, N-U-N, in the Hebrew. This is just one example. I, so this is like you start putting on your bifocals, man, spiritually, and you start seeing some deep stuff when you start learning some of this Hebrew. I'm just putting this out there. If people are interested in it, it's free online, and you can look into this. It's very, very interesting. But I will put this warning as a pastor. Please hear me. There's uh, Jewish mystics that search the Kabbalah. And they look into some of this stuff from a mystical pagan view. And they study some of the things I'm talking about, but it's not biblical based. It's Jewish mysticism. And I encourage you to stay away from the Kabbalah. Okay? It's not biblical. All right, did y'all at least learn something tonight? Did you get something out of this? Let's go down.